You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on Christ through the ages. Now looking at Christ refracted in the world, the polytheists. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Christ through the ages. Lesson 28. Do you understand or do you ever wonder how Jesus Christ is perceived by members of other world religions? What do the Jews think about him or the Hindus, the Buddhists or the Muslims? In these next three lessons, we're going to dig into this very subject. How is he understood? And so this lesson is called Christ Refracted in the World, the Polytheists. Up to now, we've seen how he's been understood in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the course of church history. By looking at world religions, you may think, well, what do I have to learn? How will this help my faith? Well, I think it can reinforce our faith quite a bit. We live in a world where we are outnumbered. Understanding how others think helps us, first, to appreciate what we have. Secondly, to connect better with those others. And there's a strong biblical tradition of making the effort to understand and connect. This is perhaps nowhere better illustrated than in the lives of the Apostle Paul and, of course, in Jesus Christ. There's so many differing refractions and reflections of Jesus. Think of the Buddhists. For them, it's all about enlightenment, nirvana, But what does that mean? The Baha'i believe that there are many paths to God. They would certainly reject or reinterpret passages like John 14, 6, where Jesus claims to be unique. There's the New Age movement that says we're all gods. All of us are Christ's in a way. And as we've considered several times before, Paul's warning in 2 Corinthians not to accept a different Christ. I think we need to think critically about these different polytheistic approaches. Now, there's so many polytheistic religions in our world today that I'm going to focus on just two in this lesson, Hinduism and Buddhism. I just mentioned the Baha'i, who accept pretty much anything and everything, though they have their own prophets. I mentioned the New Age movement also. You'll find podcasts and material on these um, groups uh, at other places at the website. So let's start with Hinduism. I could call this almost welcome to the pantheon. Hinduism is a religion that has an amazing ability to adapt and to incorporate different gods into its own pantheon. My first experience studying the Bible with a Hindu was when I lived in Britain. I moved to Britain over 30 years ago. Uh, The purpose was to help to start a church. What an incredible experience that was. As the uh, capital, in a sense, of the British Commonwealth, uh, really a huge colonial empire. It's different now, but still so many people, so many nations look to London that there are people who travel there and move. They emigrate to Britain from all over, or they come there for education, including many people from India. Well, the first man I studied with 
Uh, I studied with many Hindus, but the first one who was baptized, interestingly, said, uh, I think I believe in Jesus. And I said, you do? He said, sure. And something told me that this was uh, not as easy as it seemed. <laughs> you know, what do we do? Just go straight to the baptistry? He said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Why not? Why not? I believe in Krishna. I believe in Kali. I believe in all the the different gods, Shiva and Vishnu. He's uh, hospitably welcoming all of them. And I thought, okay, I don't really want you to believe in that sense. And I'm glad you're open-minded, but they can't all be right. And we did a resurrection study. I said, you know, Christianity is rooted in history. If the resurrection happened, 1 Corinthians 15, that has huge implications. If it didn't, you should ignore it. Well, why should you ignore it, he said. It could be a good thing. And so we started with a resurrection study, and I begged him to play devil's advocate. I said, please reject what I'm saying. And eventually he started realizing that you can't just accept everything. Because if you accept everything, you exclude nothing, and your mind becomes a muddle of contradictory ideas. Uh, a couple of years later, I had my first visit to India. And if you've ever been to India, if you've ever been in a taxi or even an auto rickshaw, you'll see many uh, items uh, that are religious paraphernalia. On the dashboard of a taxi, it's very common to see many statues of different gods. And so you might see uh, a, a god like Shiva or Ganesha, then you, then you might see um, something uh, maybe from one of the living or dead gurus. I remember seeing Sai Baba and Jesus Christ. And I asked the driver, you, you've got Jesus Christ there? Oh, yes, he is God also. Everyone's okay. Of course, when you say that everyone's a god, that doesn't really help us to understand Christianity, which claims to be unique. I mean, to take that position, at first you might think, oh, good, uh, our work is going to be easy. But in relativizing Jesus and saying that all religions are true, you're really saying none of them is true. They're all on the same level. Well, this is the, the common thinking in Hinduism. Welcome to the Pantheon. If you want more details, please study more. But let me say why I, th- I think this is a problem. The Hindu gods and goddesses are not virtuous. In fact, they're often very badly behaved. Not only that, in Hinduism, ultimately, relationships and individuality will be dissolved. I'm sorry if that's too philosophical for you, especially if you're listening to this early in the morning. But in Hinduism, we have a soul, and our soul ultimately returns to the world soul. The world also has a soul. This is compared to a drop of water going into the sea. And so it's really no longer um, ourselves who are real or who exist. It's just an ocean of oneness. So all re- whatever relationship you might have to others is dissolved just as your individuality is dissolved. Well, in a relational religion like Christianity or Judaism, where God creates us for relationship and we are to relate to each other and presumably forever, not just during the brief decades we're here on earth. Uh, The Hindu worldview doesn't work. It's antithetical to Christianity. Often it's stated that Jesus must have visited India. And that's a popular idea among the New Age movement 
and Hindus and Buddhists. But just a, a quick thought on that. As the oldest of at least eight children, and with a father who probably died on the younger side, or whatever his age was, he died uh, while there were still many children in the home. Jesus had certain responsibilities. He couldn't just wander off. Not only that, although there were trade routes to India, because he had this responsibility and he was confined, apart from that brief time in Egypt when he was a baby, uh, he was confined to, to Israel until he started his ministry. Sometimes he would cross various borders. But because of his work, he couldn't take off. There were financial obligations. And he certainly never sat at the feet of the Buddha, because one reason is the Buddha died half a millennium before Jesus was born. There are many problems with this idea that Christianity is harmonious with Hinduism, or perhaps even derived its concepts from India. It's just not true. The Hindu gods represent many different things. Often gods do double duty or triple duty. But if we focus on just one aspect, Let's take the goddess of wealth. Okay, Lakshmi is the Hindu goddess of wealth, prosperity. Uh, she'll take care of you. You want to do well. Well, humans become like the thing that they worship. So if you're praying to a goddess of wealth, what are you seeking? You're not seeking the kingdom of God. You're not seeking a life of true holiness or relationship with God. You're seeking more the possession of goods the acquisition of of money. You want prosperity. And what we worship changes us. Whatever's most important in our life, that is our God. Well, some of the Hindu gods are violent or vengeful. The the God that's considered the most loving and probably best known here in the West is Krishna. But what kind of love does Krishna have? Well, he freely cavorts with the cowherds. You know, it's midnight. He's out there in the moonlight, uh, dancing around and having sex with the, the young women who take care of the livestock. Is this a, a model to be uh, imitated? No, because the gods and goddesses are fundamentally <laughs> immoral, or they're no more moral than we are. They're truly created in man's image, and so it is with all the pantheons. The pantheons of Greek gods, or Roman, or Nordic, or Egyptian, Babylonian, uh, and there are a huge number of pantheons. Just a, a comment about Buddhism. Buddhism developed out of Hinduism. It was a critique of Hinduism, and eventually uh, India became Buddhist. But then it, it waned, it was exported, and now you have very few Buddhists in India. In Buddhism, often people emphasized parallels between the life of the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, and Jesus Christ, who lived 500 years later. For example, they're both tempted by the evil one. They showed great self-control. They were compassionate. But the differences are far greater than the similarities. Buddha did not die for our sins. Buddhism is originally agnostic. God does not center anywhere in original Buddhism. Now, popular Buddhism has all kinds of gods. Even the Buddha would be worshipped. But uh, the Buddha was agnostic, it seems, and the religion is atheistic. That is, there's no God in it at all. In Buddhism, our condition of sinfulness is ultimately unreal because, unlike in Hinduism, there are, uh, our human souls don't even exist. The central teaching of Buddhism is that we have no actual essence, no existence. So in Hinduism, all becomes one at the end. In Buddhism, all is actually nothing. And 
that means that all the kinds of assertions you find in the Bible, all the teachings Jesus made, uh, really are empty of content. So this just, just doesn't work. Jesus has been refracted in the world religions. He may be accepted by Hindus. Uh, many scholars like to point out the parallels between Christ and the Buddha, but that just doesn't work. Why is this important? Well, we close with a scripture from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When the Ephesians were taught about Christianity, and later in this same chapter, chapter 4, Paul says that you were taught Christ, you learned Christ. There was some kind of process or some period of instruction, however brief, they learned. Certain things were emphasized. Now, when your Bible is the Old Testament, and which is enormous, and you've got the Gospels, uh, the Gospel accounts are circulating in oral form, and maybe a few letters have been written by the time of Ephesians, there's a, an abundance of material. There's so many things that could be studied. Before people become Christians, however, there are just a few things that they need to have straight. And this passage is great because it shows that some matters, some doctrines are more important than others, and the list is not very long. Now here, he says there's, there, there's seven unities. Well, we want to keep the unity of the faith, the unity of the spirit. We do that by, in part, focusing on the basics, one body, in Ephesians, the body is the, is the body of Christ is the church, one spirit. So we can't be getting involved with multiple spirits, and that's a Holy Spirit that makes us holy. One hope, which in the New Testament usually refers to the resurrection of the dead. One Lord. See, not Lord Krishna. You can't worship Buddha. You can't worship Vishnu. It's Lord Jesus. One faith. So the idea that all roads lead to God, beautiful idea, but it's not a biblical idea. There's one faith. There's one baptism. Many religions have ceremonies of washing, but only in Christianity do we have authentic baptism. And then the the seventh unity of the faith, one God and Father. Now, this God is a Father. He's over all, through all, and in all. That means uh, not only will he ultimately fill the universe he already does, but he will, 1 Corinthians 15 says, but there's no room for other gods. They're not real. They're not substantial. And Paul talks about that also in 1 Corinthians 10 and other places. So it's the fact that there's one God, central teaching of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, here, Ephesians 4, Matthew 22. There's one God, and that means that the polytheistic religions, those religions that acknowledge many gods, are wrong, and it would be impossible to harmonize them with Christianity. We need to appreciate that. So today, perhaps you'll meet someone who is a member of another world religion, and perhaps one who acknowledges many gods or a polytheist. Please keep the scripture in your heart that there's only one God, there's only one Lord, there's only one faith, and that gives us a conviction And then let's relate to those people in love with conviction, but with gentleness as we 
try to get them to think about the true God, the one that we've come to know. Next time, we'll look at how Christ has been refracted in the world through other monotheistic religions. Hope you learned something. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' series on Christ through the ages. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.